You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the reading of the January edition of the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. Starting with front page news, come join us by the fire. An update on the Sage's hearth remodel and vision. This was written by Zayla Pearson Good. Most of us drive by it every day. This multi-pitched building has seen decades of holiday bazaars, Halloween balls, fundraisers, and community events. Its modest kitchen has prepared thousands of meals for hungry hikers, spiritual retreatants, Colorado College students, and the Crestone community at large. The Desert Sage Restaurant has always been a place to gather and be nourished. From the roadside, onlookers may have recently noticed that the Sage is undergoing an incredible transformation. Since its sale over a year ago, the Crestone community is eager to know what does the future hold for this iconic building? When will its doors open? New owners and food enthusiasts Mary Getchens and Paul Winans have made it their mission to create a nourishing, inspiring, and lively environment for Crestone to enjoy. Inspired to create delicious food and an uplifting venue to share it in, the couple has big plans for the restaurant they are calling Sage's Hearth. Initially built for the Aspen Institute in the early 1990s, the Sage served as more than just a restaurant. It hosted a bakery, hair salon, health care business, townhouse rental office, and a residence. It was sort of a mecca, describes Mary, that offered wonderful services to the community. Paul and Mary plan to revive all former uses except for the hair salon, though are open to a stylist joining their team if they need a business location. Their envisioned marketplace will be complete with a bakery, restaurant, chocolate studio, creamery, bar, garden, fitness wellness center, and two apartments. They are also restoring the old clock tower to include a private dining area with scenic views. Regarding the restaurant, the duo is in the process of planning their menu. Wholesome, nourishing, healthy, and local are top adjectives used to describe their future dishes. Inspired by Mary's Haitian, Creole, and New England roots, the menu will be eclectic. For example, Fish Friday will feature local trout with saupois et riz, rice and beans, étouffée légime, vegetables étouffée, and a wicked good chowder, Bostonian for chowder. Having dined in incredible eateries across the globe, the couple plans to offer versions of their favorites from India, South America, and Europe. It's likely an international executive chef will join the community when they open. They encourage local chefs to reach out if they are interested in joining the Sage's Hearth as well. Whatever dishes land on the menu, it's clear they will add a new flavor to the Crestone food scene. Mary exclaims, Trust us, it's going to be delicious. Sustainable practice and design are also central to the vision for the Sage's Hearth. Food waste from the restaurant will be processed in a methane digester, providing cooking fuel. Domestic hot water and power the hydronic in-floor radiant heating. They will further eliminate waste by keeping single-use products out of the bar, such as bottles and cans. Any product they serve will either be made in-house or come from a bulk local supplier. 
Serving spirits from the San Luis Valley distillery headed by Nick Chambers was one vendor mentioned with excitement. The couple has been busy manifesting their vision with their own hands and are working tirelessly to completely remodel the interior of the building, pass code inspections, and meet their sustainability goals. Redoing the plumbing, roofing, installing a massive 10,000-pound masonry heater, landscaping, building a mezzanine, and extending the north end of the building are projects currently underway. They are also proud to have redesigned the kitchen with help from a James Beard award-winning chef and chocolatier. Guests will be able to watch as their meals are prepared in the new exhibition-style kitchen. Paul and Mary have worked hard to make the entire Baca townhouse area an oasis for pollinators, wildlife, and residents to enjoy. With guidance from local landscapers, they have already planted an assortment of 75 native berry bushes, including chokecherry and goldenberry. As former president, secretary, and treasurer of the Baca Townhouse Association, BTA, the couple eliminated the use of pesticides and insecticides on the property, managed noxious weeds, and encouraged turf grass to return to an alpine meadow. They also hired Amanda Wright of Terra Agua Landscaping and Irrigation, LLC, to install drip irrigation, regrowth of native plants, species, improved water efficiency, and a healthier ecosystem have resulted. Like any extensive remodel, several unexpected events have delayed the Sage Hearth's opening. In June, the BTA declared a need for more specifics on the building plan and laid forth a set of requirements before building could resume. As a result, all work related to the exterior has been at a standstill. The owners are optimistic they'll regain BTA approval sometime after the new year and encourage the Crestone and Baca community to express their interest in the Sage's Hearth reopening to those they know in the association. As they await approval for rebuild, Paul and Mary are focusing on the interior. They have essentially gutted the interior to get the building up to code and modernize outdated infrastructure. The owners are also faced with the immense unexpected cost of replacing the roof and other surprises. The sage is, quote, more of a fixer-upper than we thought, says Mary. Such matters have put a major dent in their budget and could delay their opening. They are excited to complete the interior, get BTA approval, and get ready to open. When is the Sage's Hearth planned to open? The owners say they would like to open as soon as the spring, but to do so need community support and the BTA to approve their plans. Currently, Mary and Paul are asking for help in the form of donations, investors, and advocates for the project to vocalize their support. Donors will get more back than they give with vouchers to the Sage's Hearth up upcoming opening. For example, if you donate $100, you will be given $110 future credit. Despite some setbacks, Mary and Paul are thrilled to call Crestone their home and to be fulfilling their lifelong dream of creating a venue for wholesome nourishment. They feel the space will offer Crestone a much-needed sanctuary for relaxation, wellness, education, and recreation. With sincere excitement, the owners are looking forward to soon share their hearth with the community. In their words, come join us by the fire. For future updates on their progress, follow the Sage's Hearth blog, which is located at https colon slash slash sageshearth.com. To get involved in the project, contact Mary at mary at 
sageshearth.com or email paul at paul at sageshearth.com. And we have this article written by Mary Lowers, From Horses to Horsepower, Local Known as Champion. The sport of tractor pulling was a natural evolution from pre-industrial horse pulling competitions. In a tractor pull, antique or modified tractors pull a drag, a sled, along with a wide along a wide 100-meter track. The winner is the one who pulls the drag furthest. The drag is designed to become harder to move the further you pull as resistance builds. If your tractor rears up straining to pull, you lose. Jim Holmer is a local tractor expert and is best known as a champion tractor puller in our region. He leaves with the blue ribbon from so many pulls that it's rumored competitors know their goose is cooked if he shows up. Here comes Homer in that old M, is what Homer told me they grumble when he shows up with his big red 1945 M-series Farmall tractor. He likes older tractors from the 1940s and 50s. Anytime there's old tractors around, I'd like to see them, Homer grinned. He started pulling in 1983. My first tractor was a Massey Harris 30 from Howard Platts out of Moffett. It was his father's. The first tractor pull competitions were held in 1929 in the Midwest. When the sport really became popular in the 1950s and 1960s, uniform rules were adopted. The National Tractor Pulling Association, NTPA, was established in 1969. Tractor pulling is popular in the U.S., Canada, Europe, Australia, Brazil, and New Zealand. Popular monster truck and mud bug contests are an outgrowth of tractor pulling competitions. Back in the 1980s, there was a tractor pull sponsored by the Baca Grand POA. Homer said, I like to watch tractors pull any time. At the state fair up in the bleachers, tires spinning to get ground to pull. At a tractor pull, machines are divided into classes. They drag a trailer with a progressive weight or water weight for each class. When more than one tractor completes the course, a pull-off is called for. The sport is often called the world's most powerful motorsport due to multiple engine modifications done for tractor pulls. Homer wins without modifications time and again. He doesn't seem to have much use for the modified tractors. He works on his tractors, but it's hard to pin him down as to how many he owns, but he admits Old M is my favorite. The 1945 Farmall tractor can get a first any time, and the old 1950s Massey could eke out a second place. Homer also owns a 1941H Farmall and a 1954 Alice Chalmers WD-45 tractor. Area tractor pulls are often sponsored by the Arkansas Valley Flywheelers Tractor Club based in Pueblo West. Now turning to letters to the editor, we have this from the Swatch County Board of Commissioners. We, the Swatch County Board of Commissioners, would like to address the article in the Crestone Eagle titled Swatch County Audit Identifies Problems, written by Lisa Syriax, dated November 2022. Within the 2021 audited financial statements prepared by Wall, Smith, and Bateman, Inc., items were identified as financial statement findings. Below, we will address these items for the public. 
Treasurer fees were being charged to social services and on federal funds, which is not in accordance with Colorado Revised Statutes, CRS 26-1-123 and CRS 30-1-102. When the new automated accounting system was implemented, Treasury fee rates were established and automatically charged when funds were received by the Treasurer. The Treasurer was aware that some rates were implemented incorrectly and was working with the system administrator to make appropriate corrections. A reconciliation was completed of Treasury fees charged to social services with an appropriate refund made in 2022. Grant reimbursements did not reconcile to the county's general ledger. While all grant reimbursements do not match the general ledger, all grant reimbursements do reconcile to the general ledger, with the difference being the indirect charge to the grant that is not charged or expensed on the general ledger. Certain grants allow for the county to bill additional funds, indirect, based on the payroll charges. All state and federal grant billings are reviewed and must be accepted by state oversight before funds are received by the county. As of this writing, no grant billings are in dispute. The third item, Medicaid billing was not being completely accurate, completed accurately or timely. The county was very aware that there was an issue with the Medicaid billing system in that it was not accepting entries made for billing. A contributing factor was that Medicaid did not initially accept the county's certification and tax identification number. These issues have been remediated and Medicaid billings are current. However, reimbursements are still outstanding but expected before year-end. As the county is committed to continue this program for our residents, a motion was made for our general fund to cover the shortfall in this program until funds are received. The fourth item. Numerous correcting journal entries are posted by the Finance Department to the general ledger. In some cases, documentation was not maintained. This finding primarily relates to additional journal entries needing to implement needed to implement a new automated accounting system effective January 1, 2021. Several errors were made when setting up prior balances and the cash accounts. A complete reconciliation of ledger balances was completed, resulting in extra journal entries needed to make corrections. All accounts are currently balanced and a policy has been implemented that all journal entries must be authorized by the finance specialist. The fifth item. Landfill closure and post-closure cost studies have not been completed in accordance with Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment guidelines. The landfill closure and post-closure costs are due to CDPHE every five years and was not due to be completed until 2022. The county did complete the study in 2022, therefore does not accept this finding as accurate. The next item. Social Services and the Sales Tax Youth and Seniors Fund expenditures exceeded appropriations for the year ended December 31, 2021 by $5,150,047 and $19,034, respectively. This may be a violation of Colorado Revised Statutes 29-1-110. The published article says we are in violation of state statutes. However, the 2021 financial statement findings indicated that this may be.
be a violation. Regarding social services, CRS 26-1-122 states each county shall annually appropriate as provided by law such funds as shall be necessary to defray the county department's 20% share of the overall cost of providing the assistance payments food stamps, except the value of food stamp coupons, and social services activities delivered in the county. The county only budgeted for its proportionate share of the cost with the difference in budgeted appropriations and those expenditures reflected in the audited financial statements to be direct pass-through dollars provided via the food stamp coupons amounting to approximately $5 million. For the 2022 budget, a disclosure will be made for the value of the pass-through food stamp coupons. Regarding the sales tax fund, the additional appropriations were a correction of a prior period balance with these dollars being transferred to other sales tax funds within the county. Therefore, the county does not believe this balance correction is a violation of the Colorado Revised Statutes. The next item. All audit adjustments proposed by Wall, Smith, and Bateman have been made to the county's December 31, 2021 financial statements to present them in accordance with general accepted accounting principles. The county is aware that internal controls are not as robust as desired. An experienced financial specialist was hired in June 2021 to provide oversight of the financial reporting process. Several procedures have been implemented to provide timely and accurate reconciliations and financial reports, with monthly financial statements being presented to the Board of County Commissioners and all department heads. A policy and procedures manual has been implemented in the public health sector and a manual is in process for the county administration sector. In addition, Social Services has also hired a full-time accounting person to provide timely and accurate reporting in this area. It has always been the county's goal to provide accurate accounting records and financial reports and be transparent to the county constituents in regards to county revenues and expenditures. Sincerely, Commissioner Tom McCracken, District 1, Commissioner Lynn Thompson, District 2, Commissioner Tim Lovato, District 3. Now let's turn to native plant talk, the genus Castilleja, the paintbrush. This article is written by Carol English. Some plants are parasites and have adapted to have adapted ways to obtain all or some of their nourishment by tapping into other organisms. Hollow parasites are completely parasitic with virtually no chlorophyll for making their own sugars. Hemiparasites are both photosynthetic and parasitic. Paintbrush is a hemiparasite in the genus Castilleja and family Orobanchaceae. Its distinctive shape and colors make it quite familiar to many of us wildflower lovers. There are about 200 species that grow in the western United States, Alaska, south of the Andes, north, northern Asia, and one species in northwestern Russia. Indigenous people ate both the seeds and leaves from the plants and used the plants for different medicinal reasons. Colorado is home to at least 14 species and the San Luis Valley is home to approximately 8 species. The plant is named in honor of the Spanish botanist, surgeon, and professor Domingo Castillejo, who died in 1786. Castilleja species steal water and nutrients from their neighbors, native grass and sagebrush, by what can be called foraging and selective growing toward the roots of a host plant, 
using a structure called hostorium. The hostorium can penetrate the tissues of the host and absorb nutrients from it. Search for hostorium on the internet and check out what it looks like. It will make your day. Rarely do castilleja plants harm their host plants, but it can take a toll on their fitness. Indian paintbrush is a gorgeous plant and comes in many luscious colors such as red, pink, rose, purple, yellow, white, and even orange. On a summer day while hiking in the high Colorado mountains, you are bound to come upon these plants splashing you with the summer colors. Most of the colors you see are actually not on the petals, but on the bracts or modified leaves of the plants. The flowers are tubular shaped and often have a green or yellowish green coloring. Whole leaf paintbrush Castilla integra, which is reddish orange, is one of the most more common species that grows in central to south central Colorado from 5,000 to 10,000 feet elevation. These species has whitish to mentose stems, meaning the stems are covered with thick white hairs. Castilleja linarifolia is another reddish-orange common species that grows all over the central and western portion of Colorado. The hummingbirds love the red to reddish-orange paintbrush and you will often observe them collecting nectar at the flowers if you are patient enough to wait for one. Hayden's Indian paintbrush, Castilleja hadeni, is a high-altitude species that grows in south-central and southwestern Colorado at 11,000 to 14,000 foot elevations. It is a showy species and displays colors of rose, rose-red, pink, and purples as you stroll the alpine regions of southern Colorado. Narrow Indian paintbrush, Castilleja lineata, offers a yellowish-green color on the bracts and it is also quite tomentose on the leaves and inflorescence. It grows from 6,000 to 12,000 feet in only a few counties in south-central Colorado. The tomentose leaves and flowers help with insulation for both cold and hot temperatures at these high elevation growth habitats. The different paintbrush species are differentiated by tiny characteristics such as the lower corolla lip length, whether the leaves are cleft or entire, flower color, the presence of white hair on flower parts, the absence of hair which is called glabrous, and habitat location. Keying out plants can be so much fun as it requires you to use a hand lens and look very closely at their tiny little parts. It is very satisfying to figure out the name of a plant using all the tiny distinguishing characteristics. It also makes you slow down in life and notice what is around you. It gives you a feeling of traveling to another place on the planet, a place of wonder with incredible tiny adaptations for survival. Paintbrush is an essential plant in ecosystems as hummingbirds feed on them and some butterfly and moth larvae species depend on them. The hemiparasitic nature of this genus may affect competition and dominance among the other plant species in the community. Paintbrush can be grown in a native garden and the best way is to broadcast the seeds mixed with native grass seeds and cover them with a quarter inch of soil and some dead leaves for insulation in the late autumn just before the first snow. Most are perennial and will last a long time. Join us for a hike next summer and we can sit together to look closely at these beautiful plants. Together we can be in the moment, be more mindful and learn what it is we see within the plant and possibly be able to identify its Latin name. If you have an interest in native plants, consider joining the San Luis Valley chapter of the Colorado Native Plant Society. It is $25 annually. On Facebook, check out the San Luis Valley 
COMPS chapter page. If you ever have a native plant question, you can reach me at slvchapterpresident at gmail.com. And now turning to the calendar, we have one upcoming event on February 1st, Soil Sangre de Cristo February Speaker Series from 7 to 8 p.m. Soil Sangre de Cristo Speaker Series guest is Michael Jones from Jones Farms Organics in Hooper, Colorado. The topic is Regenerative Agriculture and Surviving the Drought. Please RSVP on the Soil Sangre de Cristo website to receive the Zoom link for the virtual event. Their website is www.soilsangodecristo.org. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.